Fascism is a label that the political left uses to describe the political right, and vice versa. But what is fascism? In the last couple of days, the topic of fascism has entered a global political discourse. As the country of Italy elected its first female prime minister, Georgia Maloney, a far-right leader who in the past has praised Italy's darkest moments and garnished the support of political commentator Tucker Carlson. For today's podcast, we travel back in time to understand the roots of fascism and the conspiracy theories that enable such a philosophy to blossom in the 21st century. I am your social campus Nelson, and on today's episode, we look at Giorgio Maloney and the rise of conspiracism in Italy. The word fascism in recent times has seen an increase in its usage. If you marinate yourself in the world of politics, you'll notice that everyone is calling the other person a fascist. For instance, Fox News' Lauren Ingram did a segment calling universities that cancel conservative public speakers fascist institutions. And on the left, we have people calling President Trump a fascist. But what is fascism? Am I a fascist? Are you a fascist? Is your neighborhood street cat a fascist? Maybe the chinchilla that you recently brought from Petco on Tuesday, perhaps it's a fascist. Before this episode, if you were to ask me, Nelson, what is fascism? I would have told you something about authoritarianism. But that's as far as I would have gone with that description. And in doing my research for this episode, I realized not only did I not fully understand fascism, but most people talking about it don't either. One of the reasons for this is because defining fascism has become politicized to the point that when people describe it, they add a layer of their ideology to reinforce whatever definition they gave of fascism. And this is especially true for the political right, who in recent years have attempted to reframe fascism as a political ideology rooted in left-wing values. But it's not that simple, because it is similar to the debate on whether life begins at conception or birth. Among historians and political scientists, there is no agreement on what fascism is. To make things even more complex, there are different forms of fascism, so defining it becomes even a bigger challenge. So for today's episode, we'll be looking at the historical development of fascism and its characteristics. We'll then jump into the 21st century to assess the type of conspiracy theories that enable the principles of fascism. And lastly, look how the political right in the U.S. has integrated its values with conspiracism. Fascism has a long, extensive history, going as far back as ancient Rome. But what you need to know is that the word fascism comes from the Latin word fascis, which in translation means a bundle of sticks. Now imagine you have a wooden pencil, and I ask you to break it. Chances are you'll be able to accomplish that. I then tell you to grab a bundle of pencils, and tell you to break them in one try. You'll find yourself having a more difficult challenge. This is a tenet of fascism that states that individualism is dangerous to the collective good, and that unifying guarantees the survival of the group. This is why if you Google fascism logos, you'll see images of a bundle of sticks with an axe on it, signifying what I just described. It is at this point that conservatives will point at the collective aspect of fascism and assert that, see, collectivism is a left-wing ideology. Therefore, if you're a progressive, guess what? You're a fucking fascist. And while liberals are more collectivist-oriented, the characteristics of fascism does not end there. Fascism also includes an extreme nationalistic identity, disdain for the electoral democracy, which is the right to vote and elect your leaders, the belief that natural social hierarchies are good for society, that only the elite should rule, and the absolute loyalty to the leader of the fascist group. Now, fascism by its nature is conspiratorial, and one of the reasons for this is because 
of which population is considered the group. For example, back in Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler's implementation of fascism considered white Aryans as part of the group. However, this was not true for the Jewish population. In his eyes, the Jews were a threat to German social and economic survival, that by allowing the Jewish community to mix with the pure white race, that it would destabilize not only Germany, but all of Europe. Does that sound familiar? It's the same talking point that Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson has used to promote his anti-immigration stance, saying stuff like migrants coming from the southern border are dirtying the country, and that such migration is a secret invasion orchestrated by the left, or George Soros, to eradicate the white race. This is also the same conspiratorial ideology that Peyton Gentron used to justify the Buffalo shooting early this year, an event we covered on this podcast. Another fascist tendency of the mainstream political right is the disdain for the electoral democracy. In the last two years, right-wing conspiracists and QAnon fanatics have developed a conspiracy theory that the 2020 election was fraudulent, and that the real president is Donald Trump. This belief reached its pinnacle on January 6, 2021, as thousands of Trump supporters in the attempt to overturn the election and keep Trump in office. It should be noted that during this event, many rioters could be heard saying, Hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. This collective behavior of the political right illustrates the disdain for the electoral democracy when it doesn't suit their way. It also demonstrates how devoted QAnon supporters are about their leader, Donald Trump, a characteristic of fascism. So while fascism holds the collective values of the left, upon realizing that the collective involves a specific special group and exclusion of those it views as inferior, one can begin to notice that much of the characteristics of the political ideology of fascism can be seen in the modern-day Republican Party. Now, fascism can be attributed to many political philosophers, but it is Benito Mussolini whom fascism is most associated with. In October 1922, Mussolini and other fascist leaders organized a mass demonstration to overthrow the Italian government at the time, which led him to being established as a new prime minister of Italy. By 1925, Mussolini had dismantled Italian democratic institutions and assumed the title of El Duce, translation for the leader, cementing his role as dictator of Italy. Now, much of Mussolini's fascist state is regarded as xenophobic, which is the prejudice of immigrants. But it isn't until 1938 that Mussolini descends into a much darker ideology, as Mussolini notices Adolf Hitler's popularity in Germany and his treatment of the Jews. Mussolini decides to pass anti-Semitic laws to form an alliance with Hitler and the Nazi Party, a partnership that would pave the way for Italy and Germany's cooperation during World War II. Thankfully, the Allies successfully defeated the Axis power, which included Italy. Germany, and Japan in 1945, and since then, fascism has been officially banned in most parts of Europe. Now obviously, because of time constraint, I gave a short version of the history. If you want a more profound knowledge of fascism during the 20th century, I will leave a link to Britannica where I am citing my sources from. Even though fascism has been banned in most parts of Europe, the spread of neo-fascism didn't take long to come after. And to be frank with you, as I was doing the research for this episode, I was trying to see the difference between fascism and neo-fascism. And I concluded that it's the same thing. It's like if I said Hispanic immigrants are an inferior race and that they socially pollute our communities. And you called me a racist and I say, no, I'm a neo-racist. Does that really change the content of my ideology? I don't think so. As the old saying goes, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it's probably a fucking duck. That brings us to Georgia Maloney, 
who got elected as the next Prime Minister of Italy. And when I first saw her on the news, I didn't think much of it. As a matter of fact, I was like, oh wow, a woman. That's cool. But that's as far as the excitement went because her ideologies are quite controversial for all the bad reasons. Giorgio Maloney represents the political party known as the Brothers of Italy, which is regarded as a far-right group. As a matter of fact, the official logo of the Brothers of Italy has retained the tricolor flames, which represents the eternal flames on the tomb of Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. At the age of 15, she joined the Italian social movement, MSI, a party set up by a minister in Mussolini's dictatorship. And when she was 17, she stated that Benito Mussolini was a great leader and that what he did for Italy was beneficial. Now to be fair, she has since retracted these statements, saying that she no longer holds these opinions and that fascism in her party is a thing of the past. Conservative commentators like Steven Crowder have devoured these remarks by saying that Maloney was simply a child when she said this, so therefore we shouldn't take these statements seriously. This is essentially the we've all done stupid things as kids argument. However, when I was 17, I was fully aware that Nazism was bad and that being a racist meant you were a bigot. But let's grant her that argument. Let's say that people do change. If she no longer believes in these things, then her speeches must have themes of acceptance and unifying Italians of all kind. Now when it comes to Georgia Maloney, her slogan is God, family, and country. But what does she mean by that? Because by itself, these are just words without context. So we're going to be looking at one of her speeches and we're going to get an idea of what her ideology is. And if you pay close attention to her speech, you'll notice that she'll describe three types of conspiracy theory perpetrators. These being the enemy below, the enemy from the outside, and the enemy above. Her speech goes as followed. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There's a simple answer to all these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy. For those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to simply be perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity, they attack religious identity, they attack gender identity, they attack family identity. Now already she is using the keyword day. Recall that day is a linguistic strategy to have the listeners of Georgia Maloney characterize whatever existential threat they fear the most. This is the same tactic that we covered in the Great Replacement episode, where Tucker Carlson kept saying day to describe immigrants, day to describe the left, day to describe the Jewish elite. When Georgia Maloney says that they are attacking national identity, she identifies immigrants as the existential threat, since immigrants are the enemy from the outside, who are motivated to eradicate the Italian-European white race, a similar ideology that Adolf Hitler had of the Jews. When Georgia Maloney says that they are attacking religious identity, she is referring to the increase of secularism that has become prominent in Europe and the United States. In this instance, she identifies secularism also as the enemy from the outside, since in her worldview, the goal of secularism is to eradicate Judeo-Christian values. She then states that gender and family identity are under attack. In this instance, she is referring to the LGBTQIA community and feminism. The idea here is that the LGBTQIA are indoctrinating the children into sexual perversion. This is a textbook talking point from Anita Bryan back in the 1970s here in the United States, a person I covered in the Gay Agenda Conspiracy Theory episode. Georgia Maloney's conspiracy theory of feminism derives from the idea that as more women become independent from their male counterparts, the population, specifically the white population, will cease to exist due to low birth rates and will be overpowered by the other races. 
This is why many conservatives are against abortion, because subconsciously, they perceive it as weakening the collective white race. In other words, feminism is a diet version of depopulation, a popular theme among conspiracy theorists. Georgia continues with the following in her speech. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother, no. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent 1, parent 2. I must be a number. Because when I am only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear. Because we do not want to be numbers, we will defend the values of the human being, every single human being, because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable, and, like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family. Those things that disgust people so much, we will do it to defend our freedom, because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. Now, we've already identified the enemy below and the enemies from the outside in the conspiratorial framework of her speech. But what about the enemy above? In doing my research for this episode, I listened to the popular podcast, Conspirituality, and in that podcast, they said that what is the enemy above was her usage of the word financial speculators, which is a secretive way of saying the Jews. But I wasn't certain if this was an accurate assessment until I listened to Ben Shapiro's podcast and listen to how he acknowledges this as a Jewish man himself, but completely allows it to slide because she aligns with his economic values. This speech went completely viral on the right for a reason. And when she's talking about the attack on family, the attack on traditional rules and institutions, people all over the West resonate to that. Now, her little spin there, that the reason that people are doing this is because there's sort of a global capitalist order that is driving people to be individualist consumers, that is a very sort of fundamentalist, integralist idea that has taken root on, on parts of the nationalist right. But she also happens to be a fan of like tax cuts and more financial freedom in Italy because Italy is heavily, heavily regulated. So what you just listened to was Ben Shapiro acknowledging that Georgia Maloney's speech has elements of anti-Semitism and yet allows it to slide simply because she wants to reduce taxes. All in all, just like Georgia Maloney uses her gender to minimize her dangerous worldview of minority groups, what is important to note is Maloney is a fascist before she's a woman, just in the same way that Ben Shapiro is a far-right apologist before he's a Jew. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're listening on Spotify, click on that follow button for me. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, click on that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. By doing so, you help expose this podcast to people who might be interested in conspiracy theories within politics. If you're listening on any other platform, Make sure to follow for more analysis on a conspiratorial mindset. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram at The Social Chemist. If possible, share this podcast with your friends to have some interesting discussions about today's episode. For sources, you can find all the references on the show notes below. So with that being said, take care and question everything with logic.